Hey, this is Ryan, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon titled, Look, the Lamb of God comes out of John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Some of you guys may be old enough to remember the Watergate scandal. And uh, I won't go into the specifics of it, but it involved uh, political offices being bugged and all kinds of stuff in a complex in Washington, D.C. known as the Watergate. There is still a hotel there called the Watergate Hotel. And there was a young couple that got married, and they decided that they would spend the first night of their honeymoon at the Watergate Hotel. Well, as they were there in the hotel, and the wife started becoming, you know, a little concerned as she started thinking again about all the things that had happened, and she, uh, you know, she was very paranoid, and she said, what if the place is still bugged? And the groom said, well, let's look around. And so like many of you do, when you stay somewhere that's not your home, they look behind the pictures and in all the lamps and underneath the beds to make sure there were no dead bodies and all those kinds of things. They even removed a large rug in the room, and the groom said, well, there it is. And there was a round metal piece that had four large screws in it. And he said, there it is. There's the bug. They've been listening to everything that we've said. And so he took out his Swiss Army knife, and he took those four screws out, and he took that big round piece, and he threw the screws and that orbital piece out the window, and they went to bed. The next morning they got up, and as they were checking out, and they were talking to the manager there of the hotel the manager said hey can i just ask you guys did you did you have any problems last night was your stay okay and the groom still a little paranoid said i don't know why are you asking us this question and he said well cause i just dealt with another couple that was in the room directly below you and they said their chandelier fell on them in the bed last night Well, what you don't know can hurt you. And I would say in that case, it can even hurt other people. And what you don't know about Jesus can hurt you. I would even go as far to say this, that what you don't know about Jesus can be hazardous to your health. And that's the reason why, as we've been going through our verse-by-verse study of the book of John, the title of it is Life in His Name, We've not gotten even out of chapter 1 that John, the Apostle John, who wrote the book, has been saying over and over again, it's, it's important to your eternal health that you have a clear understanding and a picture of just who Jesus Christ is. We've already said, and he has said as we've studied this, that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is life. He said that Jesus is the light that not only discloses my sin, but Jesus is the light that directs my way. Jesus fulfills all the prophecies of the past, and he fulfills or will fulfill all the prophecies of the future. He said that Jesus declares God's glory, Jesus declares God's grace, and Jesus declares God's goodness. Last week, he even said, Jesus is the great I am. We were introduced last week, if you were here, to John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. You're like, why do you call him one or the other? It doesn't matter. He's referred to as one in one passage and the other in the, you know, another in another passage of Scripture. I just like to call him John the Baptizer because that's what he did. Don't mistake, John the baptizer is not John the apostle who wrote the book. But he's writing about John the baptizer, and last week, John the baptizer continues on saying this, hey, there is a great I am, and that is not me. 
And he had these folks that were following him. He's preaching repentance. He's baptizing out in the middle of nowhere. And so they come, some Pharisee spies, they come to find out just who he is. They were probably there because their religion, their organized religion was being threatened. And they're like, hey, 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 are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, I'm not him. Okay, well, are you Elijah? That's come back to life. No, I'm not him. Are, are, are you the prophet? No, I'm not him. John was known as the great I am not. And he understood exactly where he fit in comparison to Jesus Christ. And so when they finally said, who are you? Would you tell us just who you are? John says, I'm just a voice out in the wilderness telling everybody, get ready for the Messiah. He is coming. I'm not him. I've just been sent to tell you, look, here he is. So that being said, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In John chapter 1, verse 29. John 1, 29. John identifies the Messiah. He says in verse 29 of John chapter 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes the man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John uses a very strong interjection here in the Greek language to call people's attention to something, or in this case, to someone. John says, look! You and I would say, behold, or we would say, hey, or we'd say, yo, or maybe we even say, check it out. John was pointing the crowd, look at Jesus. So that's what we'll do in this message. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert doesn't matter when you show up here at a service, whether it be Sunday morning, whether it be Wednesday night. It does not matter what book of the Bible we're in, Old or New Testament. That will always be where we'll head. We're going to say, look, Jesus. Behold, Jesus. Jesus will be the subject matter of everything that we always do. We always sing about him. We always teach about him. We always preach about him. And the reason why is Jesus is the only one that can make a difference for the problem that you and I have, sin. So with that being said, let's learn three things about this Lamb of God. First of all, the Lamb of God carries away our sin. It's what John said. You can go back to verse 29. He said, behold, hey, yo, look, pay attention. The Lamb of God, the one I've been telling you about, he comes to take away the sin of the world. Now, I want you to kind of get this mind picture with me if you can. Here's John out in the wilderness, and we've already told you he was unlike anyone (laughs) that you've ever seen. He did not cut his hair. He did not shave his beard. He wore this big, huge camel robe. He had a big leather belt cinched around it. He ate locusts and wild honey. We're not talking about the honey from Publix. He probably ate a few bees in the process. So here's this guy out in the middle of nowhere, and people are flocking to him, and he is preaching a message of repentance. Repent and be baptized. Repent, what does repent mean? Repent means that I turn from my sin. So here I am, and I'm walking towards my sin. This is who we are before Christ. Then I repent of my sin, and now I'm going in the opposite direction. So he's preaching repentance, and he is baptizing. And one day, John sees Jesus walking up to him. 
John stops his sermon mid-sentence and John points at him and John yells, look, there he is. There is the very Lamb of God. The guy that I've been telling you about right there, he is here and he's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Now that's an incredible claim. And can I just say I'm thankful he said he comes to take away the sin of, hello, what? The world, me. Yeah. I'm thankful it doesn't say he came to take away the sin of but a few. No, he's come to take away the sin of the world. Now hear me, friend. It's not automatic, but it is available. So, the Bible has a lot to say about sheep. You find the words lamb or sheep or flock over 600 times in the Bible. It's kind of interesting. We've said this before. Out of all the mascots that God could have chosen to represent the human race, why didn't he choose a lion or a tiger or a bear? Or He chose a lamb, sheep. Why would he choose sheep to represent you and I? Sheep are dumb and directionless, just like you and I. And so, Even though we have 600 times where we find those words lamb, sheep, or flock in the Bible, the phrase the Lamb of God only appears twice. Right here in verse 29. And then we're going to get to verse 36, and he's going to repeat the word again. So with that being said, only twice, let's explore a little bit. What does it mean, the Lamb of God? First of all, the Old Testament. Old Testament asks a question. Where is the Lamb of God? You know, there's such beautiful symmetry in the Bible. If you're one of those folks that think, well, the Old Testament does its thing, the New Testament does its thing, then you do not understand how perfectly complete the written Word of God is. It's seamless, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Without the Old Testament, we couldn't appreciate the New Testament. Without the New Testament, we couldn't even understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament asks a lot of questions without giving the answers, and then the New Testament gives the answers. I'll share a few examples with you. Can I do that today? Will you take the time to get off your phone while I do this? Thank you, those of you who have backslidden since we started this service. For instance, Cain. Now, I'm going all the way back. God comes and goes, where's Abel? And again, Let me remind you guys, when God asks a question, it's not for information. What did did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? That's the question of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden we get to the New Testament, and the New Testament says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's the answer. In the Old Testament, there's a question in Job. If a man dies, shall he live again? And then the New Testament answers that question. Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, that even though he may die, he will live again. Yet, in my mind, the most important question of the Old Testament is found in Genesis 22. Isaac and Abraham. Abraham is told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And as they're walking up the slopes of Mount Moriah, Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac has the fire or the torch for the sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, Isaac starts looking around, and he's like, there's a pretty important part of this sacrifice that we don't have. What are we going to sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Isaac didn't know that he was going to be the lamb that day. Hey, Dad, where's the lamb? Abraham could have said, well, son, I've not told you yet, but you're going to be the lamb today. I'm going to sacrifice you so that I can prove my love to God. He did not say that. I mean, just stop and think as well. You know you've thought this before. What kind of deranged father would be willing to kill his own son under some misguided notion that he was pleasing God? Well, Hebrews answers even that question. 
You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, and it tells us there that Abraham had such a profound, powerful faith in God that he believed even if he sacrificed his son Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. That's the kind of faith he had. So Isaac asked the question, where's the lamb? And Abraham made a pretty prophetic statement. He said, God will provide the lamb. God will take care of it. And so we see right there in that passage, there was kind of a short-term fulfillment to that prophecy because about the time Abraham is going to plunge the knife into his son, an angel stops him, and lo and behold, there is a ram that is caught in a thicket. Lo and behold, they're able to take that lamb, and they're able to substitute that lamb for Isaac. So the question of the Old Testament is, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb of God? The answer to that in the New Testament we've just read. John's like, look, hey, yo, check this out. There is the lamb of God. The Old Testament, where we're going to find a lamb. The New Testament, there he is, right there. 2,000 years later, after Abraham told Isaac, God will provide a lamb, God provided a lamb, and the lamb was Jesus Christ. Hear me, friends. He was not some ram that was caught in a thicket. Jesus was the Lamb of God wearing a crown of thorns. And on the very mountain where Abraham took Isaac, Jesus died as our substitute. Every word of that statement is important. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is not one of the lambs of God. Behold, thee, the one and only Lamb of God. I mean, for hundreds of years, guys, the Jews had sacrificed hundreds of thousands of lambs and bulls, but this lamb was completely unique. Jesus is the Lamb of God. All of the temple sacrifice that had happened throughout the course of the Israelites were to cover the sins of the Israelites. Those sins were not forgiven. They were only temporarily covered. But John made an earth-shattering claim about the Lamb of God that he wouldn't just take away the sins of Israel, but he came to take away the sin of the entire world. And it's in present tense. Are you getting this? Are you as excited about this? I don't think you are. It's in present tense. He doesn't say he will take away the sin of the world. He says there he takes away the sin of the world. And it's amazing that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Let's just be honest. The only sin that you and I should be worried about today is our sin. Does he take away my sin? The only first way to even ask that question is you've got to realize that you're a sinner. That I'm a sinner. That we're all sinners. I tease and I say this from time to time. There are some of us that are better at it than others of us. But we're all sinners. In need of what? In need of not just a covering, in need of a complete forgiveness. In need of a lamb the very lamb of God. The great British pastor, Charles Spurgeon. You may not know this, but he was the son and the grandson of great preachers. He had read, this is per his own autobiography, he had read many books that presented the gospel. But per his own words, he said, none, that, none of the books that I read really helped him much. He said, I agonized over my sins so much that he wondered if he were mentally imbalanced. When he was 15, he was walking one day to his father's church, and all of a sudden, a snowstorm 
was taking place. It was a blizzard. He couldn't get to his father's church, so instead he turned down to this small little alleyway, and he found himself at a primitive Methodist church, very small. He said there were only about 15 in attendance. Spurgeon said that the preacher was a very sincere man, even though he, were, he was an uneducated man. Spurgeon said that morning he was preaching from the text in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Here's what it says. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And so in his autobiography, Spurgeon recalled the words of that preacher. And I want you to hear what he wrote. Quote, here's what the preacher said. My friends, this is simple. It says, look. Now, looking don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or lifting your finger. It's just look. Well, a man don't need to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and you can still look. A man needn't be worth a thousand pounds a year to be able to look. Anybody can look. Even a child can look. And then the preacher very deliberately looked at young Spurgeon and he said, young man, you look miserable. And you're always going to be miserable. Miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. And then Spurgeon said that the, the preacher shouted, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look to Jesus. Spurgeon wrote, I'd been planning on doing about 50 things that afternoon, but that one word, look, cleared away all the clouds. And he said, I looked to the Lamb of God. I was saved that day. And he would go on to become one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. Friend, I'm here to tell you today that John the baptizer is pointing right at you, right at me. And he is saying, look, the one we've waited for. Look, the one we've, we've dreamed of. Look, the one we desperately need. Look, look at you, young man, look. Look at you, young lady, you, you, senior adult, you, you, child. He says, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the very sins of the world. Come, come to him. So he carries away our sin. But then secondly, the Lamb of God is commended by our Heavenly Father. Look in verse 32, look at what John said. Are are y'all tracking with me? I'm telling you, the first service was on fire this morning. By this time in the sermon, I'd already gotten three applause. I'm just telling you, they're out doing you now. Matter of fact, they had more in the first service than the second service today. Look around. If you've got an empty chair next to you, you've got an assignment for next week. You fill it with someone and not someone who's sitting on the other side. Verse 32. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Now, in John's account, he doesn't actually record the baptism of Jesus, which makes no sense. You're like, okay, he's talking about John the baptizer. John the apostle is talking about John. He doesn't even record it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And so I want you to hear what Matthew says. This is in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, about the baptism of Jesus. He says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now there are two miracles that occurred at the baptism of Jesus. First, the Holy Spirit was seen descending down on him like a dove. Have you ever watched doves when they come in for a landing? I've got some wild doves that about this time of the year, every year, they start building a nest in my porch. I've done everything in the world. Last year, I ordered big, huge, frightening, scary rubber snakes. And I put them up there. And they built their nest on top of the snakes. (laughs) I'm not making that up. I even brought a picture and showed it to you at the time. And so, like, 
you're so helpful. Everybody always wants to come and say, you know, you haven't tried this, you haven't done this. And so one of our brothers came and he said, man, I've got this thing. If you're just nail it up there, all these spikes on it, they will not build a nest. Last night I was out there and I was looking and they're building a nest right on the side of those spikes. And somebody's like, what about an owl? If you get an owl, they'll stay away. They built a nest on the top of my neighbor's owl. We got crazy, crazy doves over there in Southport. Wild doves. Scared of nothing. Some of you are like, I got an answer for No, come on now. Come on. We've got a camera. Well, we've got cameras all over our house. These, you know, the little bink, bing things, and it picks up stuff. And so I'll get an alert. Front porch. Somebody's at your front porch. Oh, who's at my? Oh, stinking doves. And, you know, and they're... Because when they get ready to land, they, you know, they kind of flutter. They flutter. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, I'm getting ready to land. Watch me. That's what happened when Jesus was baptized. It's like God was saying, hey, check this out. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, is fluttering, is landing on Jesus. So that's kind of the first miracle there. I think God did this so that, uh, 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 you know, that onlookers would be able to understand what was happening. But the next miracle was the voice of God. He's commending Jesus as his son. Now, let me just say this. A couple of practical lessons that we learn here from the baptism of Jesus. Let's talk about it for just a second before we continue on. For instance, a follower of Jesus is going to follow him in baptism. And there are some of you in this room, you've never been baptized. And you say, well, you know what? I understand, though, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I understand that it's only about faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I would agree with that. Baptism is not necessary for eternal life. Eternal life only comes through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason why the New Testament writers did not deal with folks who refused to be baptized is because they couldn't believe it would ever happen happen. Because unlike our day and time, in their day and time, when you became a follower of Christ, it meant it would probably cost you your job. Might even cost you your family. They would disown you. Might even cost you your life. And we live in a day and time, and I've even had folks say this within the church before. Well, you know what? My faith is a private issue, and I don't want to shove it down someone's throat at work or at school or whatever the case may be. Tolerance, man. we got to tolerate everyone. Here's the deal. Tolerance used to mean this. You can believe what you want to believe, and I tolerate that. I'll believe what I want to believe, and you'll tolerate that. But it's okay for me to tell you that what you believe is not the truth. Now, when I say what you believe is not the truth, you're intolerant. Yet the highest form of love that I have, that I can convey by one that has been radically changed and transformed by Jesus Christ is, there is a better way. There is the only way. There is hope and it is found in Jesus Christ. So my goodness, if he has radically saved you, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, I don't want to shove that down someone's throat. I mean, no, instead you're going to say, oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing I've got to share. I must share. Jesus saved me and Jesus will save you. My goodness, some of you won't hesitate to say, you know what, man, I found a good restaurant. You should go over there. It has got to give you five stars. Go over there. Now stay away from the calamari, but everything else is really, really good. Or if you stay in a bad hotel, yeah, I went there, they renovated it, but they didn't put in new air conditioners. It smelled like must. It was terrible. You don't want to stay there. There was a stain in the carpet. It was kind of the outline of a dead body. Stay out of that place. Mm. Friend, listen to me. The fact that we would sit here and be quiet and that we would not even follow through in believer's baptism. It, that, would have been, that would have been completely foreign to these folks right here. I'm just saying that if you've not been baptized yet, yes, you are saved, but you are not living in obedience to the Lord. Look carefully at why Jesus was baptized. He said he did it. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. He did it setting an example. And I believe it's the right thing for every true believer to do. Let me ask you this. Have you been properly baptized? I'll share three words with you in order for you to check up on yourself. The three words are this, method, meaning, and sequence. First of all, method. 
The Bible teaches the proper method of baptism is by immersion. The very word in the original Greek for baptism is baptizo. Baptizo carries with it this idea of dunking something from the top to the bottom. We would say this, I took my donut and I baptizoed it into my coffee cup. We believe the proper meaning of baptism is to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So we believe the proper sequence is this, repent of your sins first. I repent of my sins first, right? And then I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then I am willingly baptized as a profession of my faith in Jesus Christ. That you're demonstrating that Jesus is your Lord through baptism. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, not vice versa. So have you been baptized by immersion to identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you've not done that, then you need to follow the example of Jesus. At the end of the service today, you've not done that. You've not gotten that right. We, we baptized a lady in the first service who said, you know what? I, I was baptized earlier in life, but I truly came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior after baptism. I need to get this in the right order because the first time I didn't confess anything. And now I understand the importance and I want to get it right. Maybe that's you. At the end of the service, you'll have the opportunity to come and we'll set that up. We also learn a great lesson here from the only perfect father in the universe. Do we have any perfect fathers here? Thank you. We wouldn't want to embarrass you by telling you you're not. (laughs) Chances are your kids would be the first to let you know. When Jesus was baptized, look at what happens here. His father says two things. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know what that says to us parents? It's important to express our love to our children. I'm gonna take it a step further. There's some of you that are like, well, I don't wanna be guilty of bragging on my kids. Well, there's some of you that are nowhere near close to that. You're the only parent they have. Go ahead, brag on them a little bit. That's what the Heavenly Father is doing right here. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that they're doing a good job at something. We see the example right here. It's what God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You men may say this, well, I really wasn't raised in a home where we said we love you very much. That's unfortunate, but you don't have to follow that bad example. Daily, consistently, love you, I'm proud of you. I love you, I'm thankful that I get to be your parent. Remember, they didn't choose you, but God chose to give them to you. And long before they became your children, and long after, he desires they be his. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased listen to him. Parents, the worst thing that you can do is to criticize and belittle your kids in front of their peers. But the best thing that you can do is follow this example and to tell them how much you love them and how proud you are of them. Find something that your kid does and brag on them. Several years ago, I was preaching a Father's Day sermon, and I made that statement, and I had a father come to me afterwards, and he goes, listen, man, my kid is the worst kid in the world. He lies, he cheats, he steals. You know, matter of fact, he's in jail right now. He said, I'm telling you, he's probably one of the most ferocious thieves I've ever seen. Should I tell him, hey, good job on stealing? I'm like, maybe not that. But you can start with, I love you no matter what. I love you. You're my child. Yesterday, Jennifer and I did something that we, we probably wouldn't have done if one of our kids weren't a part of it. We went over to Crestview. We hung out there for five hours just on my right leg. 
just on the top of my right leg, I look like a lobster. I use sunscreen. I reapplied. I know what somebody's going to say. Well, you, well, you need to. You, I, thank you for your help. <laughs> if I would have thought, well, <laughs> if I could have gotten away with it, and I, I would have thought that you wouldn't have thought I was lost and unregenerate. I would have wore shorts today when I preached. Just hurts right there. Five hours we stayed at the ballpark. A lot of you guys know what Jennifer's going through with her health and everything. And, and so we went there. Our son, is he's a freshman playing on the JV team at Mosley High School. And they had two games. First of all, yesterday they had a game against uh, Walton. And uh, to go Walton behind the woodshed. 12-3, to three, run ruled them. They stopped the game early. And we're like, whoo-hoo, thank you, Jesus. How quick can we start this second game? It is hot out here. One little area over by the dugout where parents would fight over that spot where there was a little bit of shade. Who, buy, who builds these million-dollar ballparks without putting those shade things over the top? They ought to be strung up. Anyway, it's, it's bad. <laughs> we're over there. We're, you know, you're trying to get a little bit of shade and stuff. It honestly reminded me of the old days where people would get over there and try to you know, smoke a little bit. And, you know, but we weren't doing that. Anyway, we're hiding and stuff. And anyway, they get ready for the second game. And the second game, things were going pretty good. We were playing Niceville and had, had one rough inning. And our, our pitchers, bless their heart, they had some struggling. And uh, anyway, gave up nine runs the last inning. We lost to Niceville. But, but anyway, they, they took Reed out the, uh, the last inning. He played, played the entire first two games. He came out of the game the last inning, the long inning. The long inning. And I'm like, all right, he's out. We can go to the truck. Turn the air conditioning on, and Jennifer's like, no, 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 no. No, we need to be here in case they put him back in. I want to see this. I want to watch this. We need to video and all this kind of stuff. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? But there was an old guy that was sitting there, and he sat there during both ball games, and he wasn't rooting for Mosley or the, any of the other schools that we were playing. And he was just sitting there, and, you know, he was having conversations on his cell phone with on speaker, because you know how some folks do. I'll just stop and say, I'm going to give you a little side note right here. Hey, it is not appropriate for you to carry on a conversation over speaker when you're in public. You're like, well, I can't hear. Well, you got to figure something else out, because we all can. <laughs> you guys are having conversations that are way too personal out in public. When we can hear you three aisles over at the grocery store and you're talking about Aunt Lula had an ingrown toenail, they may have to amputate, that's too much. And so this guy's sitting there and he's having a conversation on his phone. I don't know what they were talking about, but anyway, so he's sitting there and somebody said, hey, are you pulling first? No, no, I just come to, I'm going to sit at the ballpark all day. All day, I just love watching ball. And Jennifer turned to me and she said, you're going to be that old man, aren't you? You just go to the ballpark, and you just sit there, and you're just going to watch people play. And I'm like, God is my witness. If my kid wasn't here right now, I'd be home in the air conditioning. And I'll not be that guy sitting out here unless my own grandkids are playing or something. And if you come to me and say, Pastor, my kid's playing a game, will you come watch him? I've got two questions. Number one, is it a day game or a night game? And then number two, how long do I have to stay? Um, I love you, and Jesus does too, but preacher can't handle getting burnt anymore. And we all do things like that, right? We all do things like that. Hanging out, why? Because we love them. Find something that they're good at and say, well done, great job, proud to be your parent. Some of you are like, well, it's too late. My kids are already grown up. I dare you. I double dog dare you today when you get out of here, take your phone and, and call them or text them and just say, hey, you know what? Hadn't said it in a while, but I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the father that you've become. I'm proud of the godly mother that you are. I'm proud of the hard worker that you are. I'm proud of your love for Jesus. I'm proud. Do you see what God the Father is saying? Don't miss this. This is my son. I'm well pleased in him. Listen to what he has to say.
He carries away our sin. He's condemned by the Heavenly Father. And then finally, the Lamb of God completely saturates you in the Holy Spirit. John pointed out, here's the Lamb of God, right? He baptized him, and God spoke. And then John made another bold claim here about Jesus. Look in verse 33. Look at what he said in 33. He said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, to be filled or to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, it means that you're completely saturated in the life of of God. That there are many people out there that while they have their ticket punched to heaven, they're still living according to the desires of their flesh. The Bible even calls them carnal Christians. A carnal Christian is someone that they know they're going to go to heaven when they die, but they're not experiencing the fullness of the joy and the victory that comes from this spirit-filled life. See, a carnal Christian, it's somebody who's taken a glass of the living water and it's like they poured it over their head. They're like, whoo yeah, all right, all right. But a Christian who is fully immersed in the, in the Spirit of God, the very Holy Spirit, has jumped in first into the swimming pool filled with the living water and their entire being is surrounded and covered and supported by the life of Jesus. Now let me make this clear. It's not talking about a second baptism. Don't misunderstand this verse. This is not saying that there is a baptism that indicates that you are a true follower of Christ. And you and I would agree, the Bible teaches, that baptism is not salvation. Salvation comes through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But baptism is that public profession of faith. Yes, Jesus is my Lord. That's why we even ask the question, who is the Lord of your life? Jesus. Well, amen to that one. Yeah, high five you. Maybe that should be part of the, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, dead, buried, risen, new life of Jesus Christ. High five, Jesus. You should do that. You get all the Holy Spirit of God that you ever need the day that you are radically saved through Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, he may not get all of you that he wants. And so it's spirit-filled living is what he is talking about right here. So the Holy Spirit that is taking place. I love what the late great preacher R.A. Torrey said about this, describing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for the purpose of cleansing from sin, but for the purpose of empowering for service. To be filled or to be baptized with the Holy Spirit means that you are completely saturated in the life of God. And so John says, hey, I'm coming. I'm calling people to repentance. I'm baptizing with water. But behold the Lamb of God. Well, he's baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Behold the Lamb of God. He's going to change your life. Behold the Lamb of God that he is even going to take you. And he's going to so infill you with the Spirit of God that God is going to use you to do great and mighty things that are so beyond you because of the Spirit of God. So he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. As I was getting ready for this message, I, in my research, I went back to Isaiah 53.7. We're talking about the Lamb of God in Isaiah 53.7. And let me remind you, this was written over 700 years before John 1. 700 years before Jesus left heaven, put on flesh, came in the form of a baby in Bethlehem. Hear hear what it says, the prophet Isaiah, describing Jesus in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. We are reminded this morning that Jesus faced opposition and Jesus faced hatred. Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was tortured. And yet through it all, he didn't even defend himself. The Bible says that at any moment, he could have called 72,000 angelic warriors to come and rescue him, yet he remained silent. Why would he remain silent? I'll tell you why. Because the very Lamb of God, he submitted to the plan of the Father because he knew that The only way that our sin was going to be covered, the sin of the world would be taken away, was through his death on the cross. 
And so that's the reason why our responsibility is to look to the Lamb of God. To trust the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of our sins. But beyond that, just like John, I I look. There's Jesus. Yo, 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 listen to me. I wonder how many preachers today in their message said, yo, 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 yo. I don't know. I don't know. There'll be an article written about me using it this week um, by people who don't have anything better to do. Yo, yo, look to Jesus. There's some yo-yos that need him. Back in the late 1700s and 1800s, people would travel by steamboats, paddle wheel steamboats, up and down the Mississippi River. The custom would be this, that whenever two steamboats would come up beside each other, all of the passengers of the boat would go up to the rail and they would all wave at each other. Maybe that way for cruises today, I don't know. I will stop and say this, because I know we have a lot of snowbirds that come to us and a lot of folks that maybe you've just recently moved to Florida and you left whatever state that you were living in. You're like, I want to move to the free republic of Florida. And you've come here. And I want to explain something to you real quick. It is very appropriate in the south, and you are in the south. Really, we should be South Alabama. That's really what we should be, because we're nothing like Tallahassee, Orlando, Miami, nothing along those lines. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're not like us. When you are driving up and you pass somebody on the road and they take their index finger, their hands on the steering wheel, they take their index finger and they do this. Here's what they're saying. How's it going? Hey. Okay. Your proper response is pretty good. How's it going with you? Hey. The appropriate response is not. Because then we're like, did you see that? I said hey to them. They didn't even say hey to me. And then we look at the review mirror. What state are they? Oh. Yeah, yeah I figured that. I figured that. I, figured, I had somebody the other day that said this to me that is just relocated here from another state. They're like, you know what? I can't tell. I can't tell. I couldn't tell if they were giving me the index finger or another finger. And I'm like, listen, listen, listen. You'll know if they're not giving you the index finger. They'll be very passionate. All right, it won't be this laid back. Hey, how you doing? Well, the paddle boats, they would all go get on the, you know, right on the edge, and the, they would wave at each other. And, and so one day, these two paddle boats were passing by each other, and everybody runs up, and everybody's waving at the other folks on the paddle boat. And there was this fireman, a guy who, who was making sure that the steam was happening and the fire kept going into the steam for it to occur. And he, he ran the boiler and he ran up from the very bottom of the boat up to the deck. He pointed across at the other boat and here's what he said. He said, look, look, there's Captain Douglas, the finest captain on the Mississippi. And there was a guy that was rather well-dressed that looked at the grimy fireman and he said, Well, who gives you the right to make a statement like that? Say that he's the finest captain. You're nothing more than a fireman. How would you know? And the fireman said, well, last year I was working on his boat. And I was on the deck and a storm blew up. and I fell overboard. And I can't swim. And so I was literally crying out, help, help, somebody help me. He said, Captain Douglas jumped in and he saved my life. And ever since he saved me, I just love to point him out. Can I say, that's my story too. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. 
When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me. In the little church I grew up in with about 50 folks, we get to that second part of the chorus. Love lifted me. Treva Barnes would sit there and she'd go, even me, love lifted me, even me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. And brothers and sisters, that's why I have to point out the captain of my salvation. Look, (laughs) the Lamb of God. Yo, yo, it's Jesus. Would you come to him? If I would have thought singing at first would have gotten you riled up, I would have done it then. Let's pray. Can we do that? Father God, we come to you today. And Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. No one here by chance, no one here by coincidence. As we've already learned from your word, studying the Bible, God, we are all sinners. Every one of us in need of a solution and saving that we can't do ourselves. But thank you for the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Father, thank you today for that offer to all who will come and believe an offer of forgiveness, an offer of healing, an offer of eternal life and an offer of being made whole. Oh God, our prayer is right now your Holy Spirit would roam across this room even out there in the hallways, even out there those that are waiting for this service to be over. Father, maybe even somebody out there waiting in the car in the parking lot. May you roam all freely across this place. And may you speak to our hearts. God, help us to examine our own selves when it comes to salvation. And Father, for those who cannot say right now at this moment, yes, I know I belong to Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. Right now, Lord, I pray they'd call upon you. Surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you never give up. That you're a loving Savior. And thank you for the good, good Father. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle. And I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.